Peter Pan by J. M. Barrie Chapter 15 Hook or Me This Time All things happen to all of us on our way through life without our noticing for a time that they have happened. Thus, to take an instance, we suddenly discover that we have been deaf in one year for we don't know how long, but say half an hour. Now such an experience had come that night to Peter. When last night we saw him, he was stealing across the island with one finger to his lips and his dagger at the ready. He had seen the crocodile pass by without noticing anything peculiar about it. But by and by, he remembered that it had not been ticking. At first, he thought this eerie, but soon concluded rightly that the clock had run down. Without giving a thought to what might be the feelings of a fellow creature, thus abruptly derived of its closest companion. Well... The crocodile's closest companion was time. The crocodile was time itself. Peter began to consider how he could turn the catastrophe to his own use, and he decided to tick, so that wild beasts should believe he was the crocodile and let him pass unmolested. He ticked superbly, but with one unforeseen result. The crocodile was among those who heard the sound, and it followed him through the weather with the purpose of regaining what it had lost, or merely as a friend under the belief that it was, again, ticking itself, will never be certainly known. For, like slaves to a fixed idea, it was a stupid beast. Strong words. Peter reached the shore without mishap, and went straight on, his legs encountering the water as if quite unaware that they had entered a new element. Thus many animals pass from land to water, but no other human of whom I know. As he swam, he had but one thought. Hook or me this time. Hook or me this time. He had ticked so long that he now went on ticking without knowing that he, had, that he was doing it. Had he known, he would have stopped for to board the brig by help of the tick, though an ingenious idea had not occurred to him. On the contrary, he thought he had scaled her side as noiseless as a mouse, and he was amazed to see the pirates cowering from him, with Hook in their midst, as abject as if he had heard the crocodile. The crocodile, no sooner did Peter remember it, that he heard the ticking. At first he thought the sound did come from the crocodile, and he looked behind him swiftly. Then he realized that he was doing it himself, and in a flash he understood the situation. How clever of me! he thought at once, and signed to the boys not to burst into applause. I don't know, I'm thinking about this. If I was younger, I mean, if I was, let's say, uh, 10, 11, or even younger than that, would I have, like, Peter Pan or Captain Hook? Something, something to think about. It was at this moment that Ed Tainite, Ed Tent, Tent, I'd go with Tent. The quartermaster emerged from the forecastle and came along the deck. Now, reader, time what happened by your watch. Peter struck true and deep. John clapped his hand on the ill-fated pirate's mouth to stifle the dying groan. He fell forward. Four boys caught him to prevent the thud. Peter gave the signal and the carrion was cast overboard. There was a splash and then silence. How long has it taken? One, slightly had begun to count. None too soon. 
Peter, every inch of him on tiptoe, vanished into the cabin, for more than one pirate was screwing up his courage to look round. But they could hear each other's distressed breathing now, which showed them that the more terrible sound had passed. It's gone, Captain, Smee said, wiping off his spectacles. All still again. Slowly, Hook let his head emerge from his ruff and listened so intently that he could have caught the echo of a tick. There was not a sound, and he drew himself up firmly to his full height. Then here's to Johnny Blank, he cried, brazenly, hating the boys more than ever because they had seen him unbend. He broke into the villainous ditty. Yo-ho, yo-ho, the frisky plank. You walks along it so, till it goes down and you goes down to Davy Jones below. I know I screwed up the poem, I don't know how to say it, but such is life. To terrorize the prisoners the more, though with a certain loss of dignity, he danced along an imaginary plank, grimacing at them as he sang. And when he finished, he cried, Do you want a touch of the cat, a nine tails? Before you walk the uh, plank? At that they fell on their knees. No, no, they cried so piteously that every pilot smiled. Fetch the cat, Jukes, said Hook. It's in the cabin. The cabin. Peter was in the cabin. The children gazed at each other. Aye, aye, said Jukes blithely. And he strode into the cabin. They followed him with their eyes. They scarce knew that Hook had resumed his song, his dogs joining in with them. Yo-ho, yo-ho, the scratching cat. Its tails are nine, you know. And when they're writ upon your back, what was the last line will never be known. For, of a sudden, the song was stayed by a dreadful screech from the cabin. It wailed through the ship and died away. Then was heard a crowing sound, which was well understood by the boys. But the pirate was almost more eerie, but to the pirates was almost more eerie than screech. What was that? cried Hook. Two, said slightly solemnly. The Italian Checo hesitated for a moment, and then swung into the cabin. He tottered out haggard. What's the matter with Bill Jukes, you dog? hissed Hook towering over him. The matter with him is he's dead. Stabbed, replied Checo in a hollow voice. Bill Jukes dead? cried the startled pirates. The cabin's as black as a pit, Jacko said, almost gibbering. But there is something terrible in there, the thing you heard crowing. The exultation of the boys, the lowing looks of the pirates, both were seen by Hook. Jacko, he said in a most steely voice, go back and fetch me out that doodle-doo. Jacko, bravest of the brave, cowered before his captain, crying, no, no. But Hook was sparring to his claw. Did you say you would go, Jekyll? He said musingly. Jekyll went, first flinging, in, flinging his arms despairingly. There was no more singing. All listened now. And again came a death screech, and again a crow. You know, it's it'd be interesting to analyze the difference in the leadership styles of Captain Hook and Peter Pan. I mean, both are leaders in their own right. Where they get their power from, how they utilize their power, their objectives, what the objectives of their power is. That 
those would be interesting questions to explore. Checo went, first flinging his arms despairingly. There was no more singing, all listened now. And again came a death screech, and again a crow. No one spoke, except slightly. Three, he said. Hook rallied his dogs with a gesture. His death and odds fish, he thundered. Who is to bring me that doodle-doo? Wait till Checo comes out, growled Starkey. And the others took up the cry. I think I heard you volunteer, Starkey, said Hook barring again. No, by thunder, Starkey cried. What an accent. My Hook thinks you did, said Hook, crossing to him. I wonder if it would not be advisable, Starkey, to humor the Hook. I'll swing before I go in there, replied Starkey doggedly. And again, he had the support of the crew. Is this mutiny? asked Hook more pleasantly than ever. Starkey's ringleader. Captain Mercy, Starkey whimpered, all of a tremble now. Shake hands, Starkey, said Hook, proffering his claw. Starkey looked round for help, but all deserted him. As he backed up, Hook advanced. As he backed up, Hook advanced. Now the red spark was in his eye. With a despairing scream, the pirate leapt upon Long Tom and precipitated himself into the sea. Four, said Slightly. And now, Hook said courteously, Did any other gentleman say mutiny? Seizing a lantern and raising his claw with a menacing gesture, I'll bring out that doodle-doo myself, he said, and sped into the cabin. Five. How slightly longed to say it. He wetted his lips to be ready, but Hook came staggering out without his lantern. Something blew out the light, he said a little unsteadily. Something, echoed Mullins. What of Jacko? demanded Noodler. He's as dead as Jukes, said Hook shortly. His reluctance to return to the cabin impressed them all unfavorably, and the mutinous sounds again broke forth. All pirates are superstitious, and Cookson cried. They do say the surest sign a ship's accursed is when there's one on board more than can be accounted for. I've heard, muttered Mullins. He always boards the pirate craft last. Had he a tail, Captain? They say, said another, looking viciously at Hook, that when he comes, it's in the likeness of the wickedest man aboard. Had he a hook, Captain? asked Cookson insolently. And one after another took up the cry. The ship's doomed. At this, the children could not resist raising a cheer. Hook had well-nigh forgotten his prisoners, but as he swung round on them now, his face lit up again. Lads, he cried to his crew, now here's a notion. Open the cabin door and drive them in. Let them fight the doodle-doo for their lives. If they kill him, we're so much the better. If he kills them, we're none the worse. For the last time, his dogs admired Hook, and devotedly they did his bidding. I mean, look at this. This is practically what happened with Peter. They all admired him and they did his bidding. The boys, pretending to struggle, were pushed into the cabin and the door was closed on them. Now listen, cried Hook, and all listened, but no one dared to face the door. Yes, one, Wendy, 
who all this time had been bound to the mast. It was for neither a scream nor a crow that she was watching. It was for the reappearance of Peter. She had not long to wait. In the cabin, he had found the thing for which he had gone in search, the key that would free the children of their manacles. And now they all strolled forth, armed with such weapons as they could find. First signing them to hide, Peter cut Wendy's bonds, and then nothing could have been easier for than for them all to fly off together. But one thing barred the oath, though. But one thing barred the way: an oath. Hook or me this time. Yeah. Well. I don't know. There was something a bit odd about this. part of the story I can't put my finger on it anyway let's go ahead first signing them to hide Peter cut Wendy's bonds and then nothing could have been easier than for them all to fly off together but one thing barred the way and oh Hook or me this time. So when he freed Wendy, he whispered to, for her to conceal herself with the others, and himself took her place by the mast, her cloak around him so that he should pass for her. Then he took a great breath and crowed. To the pirates, it was a voice crying that all the boys lay slain in the cabin, and they were panic-stricken. Hook tried to hearten them, but like the dogs, he had made them but like the dogs he had made them, they showed him their fangs. And he knew that if he took his eyes off them now, they would leap at him. Lads, he said, ready to cajole or strike as need be, but never quailing for an instant. I've thought it out. There's a Jonah aboard. Aye, they snarled. A man with a hook. No, lads, no. It's the girl. Never was luck on a pirate ship with a woman on board. We'll write the ship when she's gone. Some of them remembered that this had been a saying of Flint's. It's worth trying, they said doubtfully. Fling the girl overboard, cried Hook, and they made a rush at the figure in the cloak. There's none can, there's none can save you now, Missy, Mullins hissed cheeringly. There's one, replied the figure. Who's that? Peter Pan, the Avenger, came the terrible answer as he spoke. Peter flung off his cloak. Then they all knew who it was. And that had, sorry. Then they all knew who it was that had been undoing them in the cabin. And twice Hook essayed to speak, and twice he failed. In that frightful moment, I think his fierce heart broke. At last he cried, Cleave him to the brisket but without conviction. Down, boys, and at them, Peter's voice rang out, and in another moment, the clash of arms was resounding through the ship. Had the pirates kept together, it is certain that they would have won, but the onset came when they were still unstrung, and they ran hither and thither, thither, thither. thither. He used to think it was hither and thither. The spelling doesn't seem to suggest. Anyway, Striking wildly, each thinking himself the last survivor of the crew, 
Man to man, they were strong. They were the stronger, but they fought on the defensive only, which enabled the boys to hunt in pairs and choose their quarry. Some of the miscreants leapt out into the sea, others hid in dark recesses, where they were found by Slightly, who did not fight, but ran about with a lantern, which he flashed in their faces, so that they were half-blinded and fell in an easy prey to the reeking swords of the other boys. Well, Slightly is being a fool over here. Or not. There was little sound to be heard, but the clang of weapons, an occasional screech or splash, and slightly monotonously counting five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I think all were gone when a group of savage boys surrounded Hook, who seemed to have a charmed life, as he kept them at bay in that circle of fire. They had done for his dogs, but this man alone seemed to be a match for them all. Again and again they closed upon him, and again and again he hewed a clear space. He had lifted up one boy with his hook and was using him as a buckler, a shield, when another, who had just passed his sword through Mullen, sprang into the fray. Put up your swords, boys, cried the newcomer. This man is mine. Thus suddenly Hook found himself face to face with Peter. The others drew back and formed a ring around them. For long the two enemies looked at one another, Hook shuddering slightly, and Peter with a strained smile upon his face. So Pan, said Hook at last, this is all your doing. Aye, James Hook, came the stern answer, it is all my doing. Proud and insolent youth, said Hook, prepare to meet thy doom. Dark and sinister man, Peter answered, have at thee. Without more words, they fell to, and for a space, there was no advantage to either blade. You know what I'm thinking? Maybe Hook and Peter knew each other when they were young. And Hook eventually left Neverland and Peter forgot about him because that's what Peter does. Peter forgets all about history. But Hook remembered. And Hook eventually realized that the real world is troubling and that he should return back to Neverland. But when he returned back to Neverland, Peter saw Hook. And Hook remembered Peter, but Peter did not remember Hook. So that drove anger in Hook naturally. And Hook can't stay on Neverland itself because he's an adult now. And adults don't stay in Neverland even though they stay around the Sea of Neverland. Interesting. That's a theory. Without more words, they fell to, and for a space there was no advantage to either blade. Peter was a superb swordsman and parried with dazzling, dazzling rapidity. Ever and anon, he followed up a feint with a lunge that got past his foe's defense, but his shorter reach stood him in Ilstead, in Ilstead, in Ilstead, and he could not drive the steel home. Hook, scarcely his inferior in brilliancy, but not quite so nimble in wrist play, forced him back by the weight of his onset. Hoping suddenly to end all with a favorite thrust, taught him long ago by barbecue at Rio, but to his astonishment, he found this thrust turned aside again and again. 
Then he sought to close and give the quietus with his iron hook. I don't know what that means. Which all this time had been pawing the air. But Peter doubled under it and lunging fiercely pierced him in the ribs. At the sight of his own blood, whose peculiar color, you remember, was offensive to him, the sword fell from Hook's hand, and he was at Peter's mercy. Now, cried all the boys, but with a magnificent magnificent gesture, Peter invited his opponent to pick up his sword. Hook did so instantly, but with a tragic feeling that Peter was showing good form. Hitherto, he had thought it was some fiend fighting him. But darker suspicions assailed him now. Pan, who and what art thou? He cried huskily. I'm youth, I'm joy, Peter answered at a venture. I'm a little bird that has broken out of the egg. This, of course, was nonsense. <laughs> I just love it. The author is calling out Peter. Or the narrator is calling out Peter for what he says. But why isn't he youth in joy? I mean, he sure seems like that throughout the book. Anyway, let's proceed. This, of course, was nonsense. But it was proof to the unhappy hook that Peter did not know in the least who or what he was, which is the very pinnacle of good form. Oh my word, I love this paragraph. Actually, these two paragraphs in conjunction. I'm youth, I'm joy, Peter answered at a venture. I'm a little bird that has broken out of the egg. This, of course, was nonsense. But what was proof to the unhappy hook that Peter did not know in the least who or what he was. Peter is unaware about himself. He doesn't have a story to tell about himself. He doesn't have a story for the future. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what he is. And is that good form, really? Deep questions. Do it again, he cried despairingly. I mean, really, I can't get over these two paragraphs. I mean, okay, let's let's go to it with a little more depth. I'm youth, I'm joy, Peter answered at a venture. I'm a little bird that has broken out of the egg. This is what Peter is claiming himself to be. But then the narrator calls it out. He says this, of course, was nonsense. But why was it nonsense? I mean, either he is not youth and joy, which isn't directly apparent. I mean, why would he not be youth and joy? It's either going to be because, I mean, he has, so Hook knows more about Peter than Peter himself knows about himself, which goes back to the theory that I was saying that Hook was a friend of Peter's when both came to Neverland together, etc., etc. But... Which would mean that he is not youth, he is not joy. Or, on the other hand, it could mean that he isn't joy and he 
because he himself does not know what joy is. He lives too much of a life in the moment to to be living a life of joy. That's one way to look at it. If there's anything else, I would ask you to get in touch with me. My mail is in the description, of course. But it was proof to the unhappy hook that Peter did not know in the least who or what he was. Now again, how does Hook know what or who Peter was? Again, a very interesting question because it looks like Hook knows more about Peter than Peter knows about himself. which seemingly should put hook at an advantage unless he obviously wants to lose the battle and why would he want to do that he's been after peter <coughs> peter all his life or at least the entirety of this book interesting fascinating which is the very pedicle of good form I don't understand the obsession with good form. Maybe it's something to do with the time period the book was written in. But the narrator, the author, has written a lot about good form. Again, interesting. To it again, he cried despairingly. He fought now like a human flail, and every sweep of that terrible sword would have severed his twain, any man or boy who obstructed it. but peter fluttered around him as if the very wind it made blew him out of the danger zone and again and again he darted and pricked what's very funny is peter isn't going to remember this soon after all of this is over he's just going to go back to his non remembering state and won't even know what he accomplished or whether it was an accomplishment or not that's a separate question about what he about his deed hook was fighting now without hope that passionate breast no longer asked for life but for one boon it craved the sea peter show bad form before it was cold forever well hook knows that he's at his end abandoning the fight he rushed into the powder magazine and fired it in 2 minutes he cried the ship will be blown to pieces now now he thought true form will show but peter issued from the powder magazine with the shell in his hands and calmly flung it overboard what sort of form was hook himself showing misguided man though he was we may be glad without sympathizing with him that in the end he was true to the traditions of his race the other boys were flying around him now flouting scornful and he staggered about the deck striking up at them impotently His mind was no longer with them; it was slouching in the playing fields of long ago, uh, or being sent up to the headmaster for good, or watching the wall game from the famous wall. And his shoes were right, and his waistcoat was right, and his tie was right, and his socks were right. Well, he is coming to his end. we had that movie 
Interstellar, in which one of the actors, I'm going to hesitate to guess, I think it was Matt Damon, on one of the icy planets, he talks about what goes on at the end of life when your mind is trying to live its last few minutes and how it crafts at life. That's what's going on with Hawk. He is slouching in the playing fields of long ago or being sent up to the headmaster for good. But in Interstellar, they talk about good memories that you're trying to hold on to. And being sent up to the headmaster for good isn't particularly a good memory. Then why would you remember articles of clothing? In any case, James Hook, thou not wholly unheroic figure, farewell. He is being called a hero. Or at least not being said that he's not a hero. He did have a purpose in life. He knew what he was doing. And in certain ways, I mean, it is more heroic than what Peter Pan does. In my mind. What do you have to say for it? For we have come to his last moment. Let me read the previous line again. James Hook, thou not wholly unheroic figure, farewell. For we have come to his last moment. Seeing Peter slowly advancing upon him through the air with dagger poised, he sprang upon the bulwarks to cast himself into the sea. He did not know that the crocodile was waiting for him, for we purposely stopped the clock that this knowledge might be spared him, a little mark of respect from us at the end. It was eventually time that caught him. He had one last triumph, which I think we need not grudge him. As he stood on the bulwark, looking over his shoulder at Peter, gliding through the air, he invited him with a gesture to use his foot. It made Peter kick instead of stab. At last, Hook had got the boon for which he craved. Bad form, he cried jeeringly, and went content to the crocodile. Did Peter have good form when he was younger? Or when he was not in Neverland, when he was in the real world? He had one last triumph. I'm going to read the paragraph again. It's just so great. He had one last triumph, which I think we need not grudge him. As he stood on the bulwark, looking over his shoulder at Peter, gliding through the air, he invited him with a gesture to use his foot. It made Peter kick instead of stab. At last, Hook had got the boon for which he craved. Bad form, he cried jeeringly, and went content to the crocodile. Entropy. Crocodile is not just time, but entropy, because time doesn't finish you, entropy does. Look at me talking about physics. <laughs> All he wanted to see was bad form from Peter. Or at least, that's what it looks like. Thus perished James Hook. I really would want to read a book about him. He looks so much more interesting than Peter Pan. 
17 slightly sang out. But he was not quite correct in his figures. 15 paid the penalty for their crimes that night, but 2 reached the shore. Starkey to be captured by the Redskins, who made him nurse for all their papooses. A melancholy come down for a pirate. And Smee, who henceforth wandered about the world in his spectacles, making a precarious living by saying he was the only man that Jazz Hook had feared. It should be James Hook. <laughs> Wendy, of course, had stood by taking no part in the fight, though watching Peter with the glistening eyes. But now that all was over, she became prominent again. She praised them equally and shuddered delightfully when Michael showed her the place where he had killed one. And then he sh- and then she took them into Hook's cabin and pointed to his watch, which was hanging on the nail. It said half past one. I mean, would the mother be proud at looking at the victim of her child's doing? Not so sure. The lateness of the hour was almost the biggest thing of all. She got them to bed in the pirate's bunks pretty quickly. You may be sure, all but Peter, who strutted up and down on the deck, until at last he fell asleep, by the side of Long Tom. He had one of his dreams that night, and cried in his sleep for a long time, and Wendy and held him tightly. End of chapter. This book gets better as it goes along. I like the previous chapter, but this chapter was pretty dead. Pretty good too. Explores interesting ideas. At least ideas that I think were explored in it. I mean, who knows what the author or the narrator actually intended it to be. Well, in this case, only the author intended it to be. Fascinating story. That's all. End of recording.